ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Two things I want to start off the podcast with. Oh, okay. Straight out of the box. Okay. Let's go. First thing, if you're not aware, uh, one thing that helps small businesses quite a lot is Google reviews. So if you enjoy this mm. podcast, Please find Burley Strength. Please find Ground Zero. Please find Zero Southside on Google and leave us a five-star review. It would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Second point, I just want to point out the fact that John Sheridan does not know what a Senzu bean is. I'm going to leave that with you. John, how are you? <clears throat> Someone who spent his youth outside instead of locked in a dark room watching cartoons yes, like yes. a dweeb. You're always flaunting your rugby in our faces. Yeah, I'm a fucking athlete, bro. Damn. Uh, yeah, no, I'm good. Life is good. Had a first novice comp for the year on the weekend. Uh, went off well. Uh, we had 46 competitors. Damn. Something like that. Uh, like, started lifting at 10. We were done. Gym packed up. Pizza ordered by, like, 4 o'clock. Excellent. Uh, so, yeah, that was great. And then yesterday a post came up in my facebook memories and it's a photo of me and my brother that my girlfriend took uh i think at the first gpc comp we hosted in ptc in 2014 mm. where we made the mistake of not asking everyone to stay back and help us put all the gym <laughs> back together and then and that was in the days where we had to basically dismantle the whole gym in order to set up for a comp so yeah, that was a nice reminder because I had a similar discussion with uh, one of the coaches who was at the Novice Comp from uh, Real Fit, which is a gym in the, on the north side of town, uh, who run, they run APU comps. Yep. 
uh, and she was saying that uh, yeah they have to like basically block out three days to host a comp they've got like a day before where they need to rearrange the entire gym the comp day and then a day after to put it all back together I was like oh yeah that's right I remember those days they suck yeah 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 mine's about to get and worse then- when I get all this new equipment the gym's gonna be pretty jam-packed so there's yeah. gonna be a bit of pushing around I'm hoping I can organize it because I've been wanting to set up a permanent comp platform for a while. Yeah. And I'm really hoping I can organize it in a way where I can do that. Uh, Because at the moment, I've got four platforms that then dismantle to create one really big platform. Big platform. Yeah. Um, And it's this royal pain in the ass to set up. Yeah. Fucking over, man. So, by comparison, I walked into the gym at 7 30 on Sunday morning. Uh, and it looked like it does on any day of the week. Mm-hmm. And by nine o'clock, everything was ready to go. So you pretty much like, pulled the curtain across, set up the chairs. Yeah, we, so we move all the stuff that's in that like comp area, which is like little things like chest support yeah. rows and a half rack and an incline bench and stuff. Yeah, they literally just slide back into the corner against the big roller door, curtain across the front of the warm-up room, we're good to go. Yeah, perfect. So good. Yeah, it's great. It's so good. Excellent. But yes. Uh, so yeah we've got states in a couple of weeks you're still coming down for that is that the plan that's the plan that's next weekend oh not this weekend next weekend yeah yep that's what i said yeah well i don't know next weekend could be like the next weekend that is to come which would be and that's this weekend, weekend. maybe maybe not anyway that'll be fun maybe we should do some sort of live peak speak thing we should depends on uh yeah I will probably fly in on Saturday afternoon, out on Sunday afternoon. Such okay. such is the nature of running too much work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we can work something out. We'll work it out. It'll be fine. All right. Excellent. What are we talking about? This was your brainchild. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about. And this will kind of end up being two episodes where we talk about common mistakes. Uh, but rather than the traditional like three common mistakes that everyone makes, we're going to try and split it into essentially like intermediate and advanced because I think there's there's definitely a a difference between the mistakes most commonly made by people who are still relatively new to the sport, mm. you know, in their first couple of years. And then there's mistakes that are made by people who are what we would consider veterans of the sport who've been around for a while Mm. and you know are are hitting a point where it looks a little bit different than it does for someone who's only done it for a couple of years so uh today we're going to talk about it from a a training standpoint uh and then in next week's episode we will likely talk about it from uh like what uh mistakes people make in a competitive environment yes uh and yeah love it go from there all right well shall we start with the intermediate what's what's point number one uh so i think the biggest thing is probably from my point of view the the need to try and emulate everyone that you see on instagram and all these elite level lifters both from a programming standpoint but from a technical standpoint as well i think it's really easy (laughs) to fall into the world and then suddenly just be enveloped by it and you know especially with instagram which like didn't exist in the same way as it does now when we were sort of coming up through powerlifting but i still got into the world Mm. you know like i read every elite fts article i read all the training logs i watched all the videos i could like i did everything and and it's great and i'm not not saying that you shouldn't do that but the thing that a lot of people do is fall into this idea that 
whatever Dan Green's doing in his training is what you should be doing because he's the best and therefore you should follow what he's doing. Uh, <laughs> I love that your example was Dan Green because that's so antiquated and, and antiquated now. Like, exactly. It's more like, uh, I don't even know the modern, like, cool lifters, like, um, neither do Ham- I. Sean Noriega and um, yeah, yeah. Dan Green was just the first one because he was one of the only lifters that I still follow because he's just such a. Freak. I know. I still idolize uh, him and be like, "Oh, do that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I I think that's probably the most common mistake. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't count the number of discussions I've had with someone where it's like. Oh, I saw this in this program. Like I'm thinking about implementing it like this. It's like, okay, well, let's just wind this conversation back a little bit and understand the context for you versus the context for that person who's been lifting for 15 years. Yeah, it's it's, it's really interesting. I'd say it's probably one of, if not the most common mistakes that uh, intermediate lifters make. And it's not unique to lifters who are self-coached. It's also, no. you know, very, very, very true of lifters that, we coach and lifters that all yep. coaches coach. And the hard thing as a coach is that it really then starts to test your sales skills because your job then is <laughs> yeah. to how can I convince this person that so-and-so on Instagram is actually training like an idiot or that technique <laughs> yeah. is actually going to be really dumb for this person. You know, how, how can I sell my method to them? Uh, it becomes a little bit of a challenge because especially like if you're not a, a world champion IPF powerlifter or something like that, their brain is wired to they lift like this and they are the best in this setting you don't lift like that and you're not the best in any setting so who's right well leaning over this way a little bit more um the hard thing is well the thing that i would sort of uh say to people who are self-coach or say to coaches who are dealing with this kind of uh, uh common mistake that intermediate lifters make is to you know guide people to arrive at their own conclusion and to sort of think of it in the, in the context of what is what are most people going to say is going to be the key driver of progress over time it's probably going to be something around consistency mm. and the rapid like reliance on all these different methodologies and all these different techniques is going to break that uh, uh break that momentum of consistency it's like if you're constantly changing things it becomes really hard to measure what's right and what's wrong and as an intermediate lifter this is the assumption that you've crossed beyond the path of anything you fucking do in the gym makes you stronger now you have to have a more thoughtful uh, thoughtful pursuit a thoughtful approach if you're going to uh, continue to make gains over time yeah and and in doing that understanding that like changing one variable across a training block can be enough to continue to add to your progress like the, the idea that every training block has to look substantially different from the last one and you need to be swapping your exercises every six weeks because that's what someone on the internet told you to do is uh, a, a quick way to just end up being really shit at a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Like you get averagely good at a bunch of different stuff and never actually progress what matters, which is the competition lifts. For sure. I, a big part of that is going to be as well. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of measurability in ten- terms of control when you are when you're chopping and changing your methodology all the time <laughs> I knew exactly what I was going to say and I kept saying words because I'd lost what I was going to say straight away so now I'm just con- conceding de- defeat Excellent. I'm really out of it today as you can tell <laughs> Good. Something's, Great. something's wrong so, I look I think fortunately for you that rolls nicely into our second mistake yeah 
um, which is the sort of over application of specificity and how that extends into what a training year looks like as opposed to what a training block looks like. Because uh-huh. uh, I think, it, it, and it, again, it stems from watching people who are at the more elite end of the scale where an increase in specificity is necessitated by... You have a question, Thomas? No, yes. I remembered what I was going to say. Excellent. Do you want to go back to what you were going to yes, say? Please. Should we just like cut this whole bit out and pretend it didn't happen? Well, we know Sam's not going to do that anyway. But Excellent. yes. <laughs> so what I was going to say is that uh, you know if if you're if you were to pose one of these questions like should this technique work or why why aren't we programming this way, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna get a response from someone like yourself or someone like myself that diverts back to the principles and so like if you are self-coached or if you are looking to understand why your coach isn't doing things the instagram way and is doing things a, a more traditional way maybe it's because they uh, have a greater understanding of the principles so the the best thing that you can do is start to understand the the processes and the principles that are actually driving strength and pro- progress sorry continue yeah well and on that point i actually i i enjoy those conversations because mm. not like you said before it, it it's a test of your sales skills which it definitely is but also i don't know about you and but i suspect we're on the same page that these sort of questions actually are really useful for helping to solidify your own understanding of your own principles and process mm. and the more i distill that into like here's the process and I can fucking almost write you, like draw you a map of how this is going to work and where these points are important and that sort of thing. Uh, that's actually helped me consistently over the years because I've been challenged on those things. And sometimes like actually like, hey, maybe that's not a bad idea. Maybe we're not going to throw it into your training program now, week three of six or whatever it is, but it's something that you can, you can sort of consider to to be valuable in the future. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, sorry, I, I screwed all of that up. What was what was the second point? It was around uh, uh, the over application of specificity. Yes. So not respecting the concept of uh, you know successive training phases, but also in terms of like what you're doing from a lifting standpoint, which I think often stems from watching people like I don't know ex, whoever ex the relevant lifter. powerlifters are these days. Yes, uh, exactly. But watching people do these very specific squat bench deadlift only programs that are necessitated by the qualification of the lifter as opposed to necessary for growth at any stage Mm -hmm. i think a lot of intermediate lifters who maybe get a couple of years into powerlifting sort of almost let the pendulum swing the other way where you go from beginner gains where you can do fucking anything you want and get better at, uh, at lifting you get to that intermediate point where you do have to work a bit harder and so you, a lot of people default into just doing more specific squat bench deadlift work mm-hmm. and i don't think that's always the best option from a long-term standpoint because it negates the fact that you actually just need to be bigger to be stronger and like actually laying some muscle on uh, is an important factor in that as well yeah I, I think part of that as well comes from a poor gauge of self-rating your own experience as in, like, you know, I've been piloting for three years. I'm fucking advanced. I can do what that Yeah, yeah I'm an advanced It's lifter. like you're barely novice. So just fucking yes. relax for two seconds. Um, yep. but, but absolutely, it's like that is an absolute fast track to become really shitty at squat bench deadlift is doing squat bench deadlift all the time 
And, you know, if we're talking hyper-specificity, doing one rep max or, or one rep squat bench deadlift all the time is not the way to improve performance. Um, no. and, and it's so easy to justify it under layers of airy-fairy reasons. Like, no. oh, I'm just doing this to solidify my technique. You, if This is the, my biggest pet peeve on Instagram. You can't say something fixes or improves or works on your technique by just saying it. That doesn't actually make it a sense. I'm doing this heavy single because to, to improve technique. I'm doing it. It's technique work. It's like you're doing the same shitty squat that you do in every other session. That's not technique work unless it's like, let's make my shitty technique shittier and keep it shitty. So don't, don't you know, confuse yourself by burying it under layers of your own stupid justification. Sorry, that sounds really aggressive. That's all right. I like aggressive, <clears throat> salty Thomas. It's my favorite Thomas. Um, Look, and I think that the idea of like maybe you're not doing one rep max all the time but there's also periods of a training year which as a sort of intermediate level lifter you really need to start thinking about your training in more like training years mm -hmm. as opposed to just training for the next competition because as a beginner you can go through successive 12 week blocks into competitions and just get stronger and stronger and stronger and there's an argument for that because you'll get better at the skill of competing yeah you know, I'd, I'd rather see a novice lifter who's done their first comp and gone, fuck yeah, I like this, do three more comps after that that year mm -hmm. so they can get heaps of experience on the platform and hopefully get one shitty comp out of the way before they take it too mm -hmm. seriously. Because if you've only done two comps and you did them six months apart and you put 20 kilo PBs on all your lifts because you've been lifting for two years, well, then you'll only have set yourself up for respect, like enjoying powerlifting when it's really good. Whereas if you can do four comps in a year and one of them just be a complete shit show, then at least you've got that out of the way and you know yeah. that like they're not all <laughs> going to be rosy because it's really easy to uh, set your expectations incredibly high mm -hmm. because that first couple of comps, it's so easy to make progress. Yeah. Like all you got to do is turn up consistently and yep. you'll get stronger. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and so not respecting that concept of a training year and – starting to understand how you can do one comp as a feeder comp into another comp as opposed to every comp has to be mm -hmm. this maximum peak max effort outcome based thing it's about how do you layer those uh like both training blocks from you know your more general stuff into the comp stuff but also then successive training cycles into different comps and and how you can sort of plan that out in a way that doesn't just fucking run you into the ground yeah and uh, like it, it highlights again the importance of understanding principles and the importance be, uh, of understanding how to sift out bullshit in principle-based approaches so like it's easy to be like i'm a powerlifter let's say you know powerlifting squat bench deadlift that's an axe right you have to be sharp you have to be heavy you have to fucking cut the wood you're going to cut down a tree being hyper specific is being like you know what let's get a bigger fucking axe it's not going to serve you well if that axe is blunt as fuck. So it's like a common attribute between an axe and a razor blade is going to be the sharpness. If you then swing the pendulum too far the other direction and just focus on being sharp and do all this weird ass movement variability stuff that has no application to what you're trying to achieve, you're going to miss the mark. You need a little bit of both things, right? And so understanding that throughout your training life, there's going to have to be an element of... Uh, variability and it's about understanding what attributes are going to be important to making you a better powerlifter and as part of that there's going to be conditioning there's going to be hypertrophy it's not all just strength and heavy weights yes 
uh, I think that pretty much covers that second point. How good was the axe analogy, though? It was pretty good. I, I the axe. It wasn't until you added razor blade to it that I was like, "Hey, now we're cooking." Yeah. It's because I'm about uh, to make a post and I'm trying to figure out the best way to use the axe and razor blade analogy, and so I'm like, just throwing it out there when it comes into my head to refine it before I make yeah, the yeah. Instagram post. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. I think it works. I think it's a really good one. I think you should probably talk more about the idea that just having a bigger, heavier axe head isn't necessarily the option. You've got to have it sharp as well. But then, yeah, it being really sharp also doesn't help. I think you got there. Though. It's the the bare bones are good. Yeah. Anyway, now that we've moved on from your coaching mentorship, uh, that'll be three thousand dollars. Thank you. <laughs> what a bargain. Uh, <laughs> I. Oh, the last one, the last point I had on the intermediate list was this idea of overcommitting, which I think kind of ties into both of what we, both the points that we've talked about so far, but overcommitting, not just from a, like, Hey, you're trying to do too much work, but overcommitting from a letting it become this all encompassing lifestyle that you live and breathe, which you know, you and I have both done to the point that we turned it into a profession. Um, but not everyone can do that. And for a lot of people, we've now seen several generations of people go through this cycle of get into that intermediate level and never really break through into it at what we would consider to be advanced or elite lifters because they become power lifters. Like that's their entire identity. And suddenly they get sucked into the world and all they ever do is think about training and that sort of stuff. And then one bad thing happens. They have that one shitty comp that they didn't get out of the way early or they have that one injury that comes up because you've been doing nothing but low bar squats for 18 months. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that breaks them and they never come back from Mm -hmm. it. And so I think, yeah, being really realistic about how how committed you are to the process, but also about how long you're going to be committed Mm -hmm. to the process because you can only burn so hot for so long before you burn that candle out. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I think uh, it's really really easy to have all the... All the ingredients for the recipe, uh, you can't. Sp- You're just fucking on an analogy. I know today, Sarah's going to hate this podcast so much. <laughs> All the ingredients for the recipe that's not going to make you uh, be a- able to cook that thing any faster, right? Like, yeah. unless you're using fucking steroids, then you, know, you can fucking speed that up, baby. Yeah, just <laughs> get six LPG no. bottles. No, but what? Seven yeah. big lighters, Ta- and you're good to go. Time is out of control now. I very, very, very much appreciate an athletic mindset. I very much appreciate a champion mindset. Like I've coached a lot of champion powerlifters and I've coached a lot of people who want to be champion powerlifters. So I can understand and appreciate that people want to be the best, that people get influenced by what they hear and what they read and they see there's an element of potential sacrifice to be the best. But let's be real when we're comparing powerlifting to real sports. Like being the best powerlifter versus, say, Michael Phelps being the best swimmer. That's like eight to ten hours in the pool a day. Every other part of the day is filled with eating as as many calories as possible to fuel that. And occasionally smoking bombs. And occasionally smoking bombs. (laughs) Eating as much as possible to fuel that. Like powerlifters is 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 like ten hours a week. If you're if you're slow at training. Like it's, it's yeah. not a huge time commitment. And so it is really easy to be very, 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 very serious and committed to the sport of powerlifting within the realm of a 
productive and normal lifestyle that's balanced and includes relationships and includes university and uh, work and you know it's it's not that difficult to build it in yes I, I understand that some people are busier than others and have a harder time doing that blah 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 but this mindset of like I will sacrifice everything all I want to do is be the best let me tell you firsthand from the champion people that I do coach many of them do not think like that at all they've realized oh I can fit this into life you know and i I can like think of think of the champion people that you've coached they're just normal people with normal jobs that train outside of it yeah because it's powerlifting people it's not fucking uh, elite level olympic athletics or something like that that like you said is this is my full-time career Mm. it's something that we all do as a hobby on the side you know you and i or you probably more than me because i don't lift competitively anymore uh but uh as as close as you're going to get to a competitive power uh, sorry a professional power lifter right where actually you're a coach who gets paid to coach people and that gives you enough freedom to then pursue your own uh your own training and competition on top of that most of the elite level athletes in real sports uh aren't that they are legitimate professional athletes or they're people who are scraping their lives together to become professional athletes 100%. like listening to especially some of the women in Australian sport who just get the shittest deal in the history of sport and are like all full-time professional athletes while also holding down real jobs mm. because they don't get paid enough by their sport I think a lot of powerlifters could do with a dose of perspective when you see something like, you know, an Elise Perry or one of these multi-sport uh, female athletes who are just mm. fucking weapons, earning a living doing their actual sport. Yeah, like it, everyone relax. It's just fucking powerlifting. Yeah, I went. I and, went to uni with a chick who was on the um, Australian synchronized swimming team. So did yeah. Commonwealth Games a bunch of times. Did Olympics twice, I think. Um, in in the time period that I well not in the time period that I knew her but beforehand and then you know uh, while yep. I knew her. I think she's down your way now actually um, but anyway that like they would train morning and afternoon down the Gold Coast she lived on the north side of Brisbane she would do uni and she would have to work full time to pay for the training because it didn't get subsidized and it was like six hundred yeah. bucks a week for the coaching and the training and then they went to the Commonwealth Games uh, I can't remember which year but they won something they won bronze or silver or something like that still had to pay for their return flight home because they didn't win gold like they i think with the olympics and the commonwealth i'm not sure how it works exactly but i'm pretty sure i remember her telling me that they got their flights paid for on the way there they didn't have to pay for their lodgings <laughs> and if you don't win but we're not bringing you yeah home. it's a reward for winning uh you, otherwise you have to pay for your own flight ticket home that's like so that's crazy. that's wild to be at like the absolute top of a sport this is the pinnacle of the sport and fair enough you know it's not a very mainstream sport that gets a lot of attention i mean it's in the olympics it's more mainstream than exactly fucking is. far more people would know about it than this um yeah. but yeah like it, it's crazy the lengths that athletes and other sports go to and again it's not it, it's not diminishing the kind of commitment and mindset and drive that it takes to be a great powerlifter but the the one universal truth about powerlifting is that the actual time commitment of training and the other stuff that goes into it like nutrition and rest is not that great because yeah. it's not a highly athletic or highly skillful pursuit it's like right no. smack bang in the middle which is perfect for us because we don't have to train that much and we can still be really good at it um yeah yeah anyway that that went way off on the tangent 
No, but that's good. I think that sums up our uh, intermediate mistakes reasonably well. Mm. So to move on to the more advanced end of the th- end of the spectrum, um, I think one of the big things that I see most commonly is not respecting the big picture part of the process, which we talked about in the intermediate level, but it's a different picture as you become Mm. more advanced. Instead of it becoming a, hey, we're moving from talking about training blocks running into successive comps into talking about a training year, for a more advanced lifter, you have to start considering things in like training quads or, Mm. you know, like not necessarily quads, but certainly multi-year plans because... For most elite athletes in the powerlifting realm, the idea of doing two comps a year every year forever and continuing to make progress is actually not as easy as it sounds. Mm. I mean, you, you can talk to someone like Ed Cohn, who just did that, but he's the exception that proves the rule as opposed to the rule itself. Yeah, for sure. And again, like you, as as I'm going to do naturally, I'm just going to keep coming back to the principles. Think of peaking, right? If, if, if a peaking block for you was four to five weeks, let's say four, let's be generous and say it's four weeks. And before that peak, you do a deload. And after that peak, so the peak including the taper and the competition, right? So four weeks, um, uh, sorry, four weeks and the fifth week being the, the competition, right? So five weeks. A week before for a deload, a week after for a deload, a rest and recovery from the comp. You've got seven weeks there where you're not getting any bigger not getting any stronger. Do two of those a year, now you've got 14 weeks. That's almost four months of the year where you're not getting any better at your sport. That is gonna be massively detrimental to you as an advanced athlete who needs to put more time in because your progress is much slower. So this idea of mapping things out over a far longer period of time starts to become really, really, really important. And so when it comes to program design, you're never just thinking in the immediate. You're always thinking, where did I come from and where am I going next? And then how does that fit into the bigger picture to make sure you're making the best decisions for those people at all time or for yourselves if that's you at all times. I'm really interested to see on this point what happens in the next couple of years on the elite end of the powerlifting realm in Australia because for the last 18 months nearly at this point the competition world has kind of been in limbo Mm. a lot of these really top end people haven't competed in a long time Mm. And maybe aren't looking to compete in a long time. Yeah. So I'm interested to see people, like I'm fucking excited to see Crozier lift again. Uh, and a few people like that who are people that we only see one or two comps a year, but now we haven't seen for a while. And so it'll be interesting to see who has done the best job of taking advantage of being able to just pivot on the spot into like, okay, well, let's accept the fact that I'm not competing for a year. Mm-hmm how do we make this a productive 12 months that feeds into the following 12 months? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think that's ultimately what separates the people that are around this sport for 10 plus years mm-hmm. and the people that are around for a couple uh, is just getting to that point where they understand that you can't just do nationals every year and expect to continue to get better and continue winning that actually at a certain point of your time, maybe you need to take some time away from the competition stuff to rebuild and, and, and not start the process again, but be able to take some of the ongoing niggles that come from pushing performance at a top end. Mm. And like you said, the, the training that you're doing to compete well is not conducive to adding weight to your total. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like you see this as an advanced lifter mistake when they're disproportionately stronger than everyone around them. 
as in like mm. they'll be way stronger so they can walk in and win any comp and they can do a bunch of comps and win every time and maybe they just hit the same total or close enough to it every single time and then the yeah. people that are coming up through the ranks who are training a little bit more intelligently and planning their training out and not spending so much time peaking will creep up on them and creep up on them, and then eventually surpass them because they're just doing the same thing because they were way ahead and they didn't have to learn that they had to back off and, and you know go through that process of what actually drives strength um, yeah. and i mean like I, I speak like that because we've seen it happen numerous times yeah exactly mm. uh i think then the second point about uh relying too heavily on past experience yeah and 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 not just past experience but what's happening around you as well mm -hmm. is a really interesting point to to go into do you want to expand on that one yeah sure i mean like n not a not paying attention to the data that's right in front of your face and leaning too heavily on what you got what got you to this point can be especially detrimental as you start to get advanced especially if we're talking uh, in the context of like advancement or you know an ex highly experienced lifter kind of coincides with being strong for who they are you know like mm. like it's gonna it's gonna lean into being strong as well and so when you're playing around with much bigger weights at whatever volumes and relative intensities that you're doing at any given time the uh the risk is a little bit higher the risk of you know uh either overtraining overtraining is not the right word but you know not balancing fatigue running into little uh problems little injuries or bigger injuries uh is now a little bit higher and it's so easy uh, for for you to look back on what you got you to this point and ignore the fact that maybe that isn't going to work for you anymore because you can't handle the kind of volumes you used to do you couldn't express your strength as well back then or you didn't have the strength you have now and so that strength applied to the old volume is probably going to be a bad mix things like that i see this a lot personally because you know the, as i've gotten more and more advanced as a coach I, I attract these people a bit more people that are right on the edge of like intermediate advanced and when i send them a program they sometimes they're like whoa i used to do way more frequency and way more intensity than that this is freaking me out am i gonna get stronger it's like well this is why you're handing over the reins to me so i can you know uh, uh not have you don't have to learn from the experience of what's going to happen if you try and lift like a little person now that you're a big person yeah lift like and, an, and that yeah. that uh that point was in my head and now has just completely gone it's it goes back to the uh justifying your coaching decisions thing right like you now have enough data to pull an average like number of sets and frequency and those sort of things from a variety of lifters from people like Dylan who's like a fucking monster <laughs> to people like Jen who are who's not massive but insanely strong and and being able to look at the whole spectrum of that data and mm. then make informed decisions based about the context of the individual lifter and if you're a self-coach lifter then looking at what everyone else is doing is really a bad way to plan your own training because then you're suddenly taking someone like jen smith who's doing volume of a 60 kilo woman who's insanely strong and trying to apply it to someone that isn't jen smith mm -hmm. and so that that point of uh, like not relying on past data exclusively applies to also not relying on other people's data for sure and respecting that yeah like yeah ultimately we are all pretty close to the same thing and we can probably within reason set an upper and lower bounds for the workload at different stages of training but ultimately understanding how you progress through that over time 
is going to be the important part for someone who's coaching themselves because you don't have that wealth of knowledge to, to pull from. Absolutely. And I mean, like it's it's tied up as well in terms of just general progress, as in like the data from, you know, what you've been uh, doing from a training perspective, but also the, the realization of progress not being as linear anymore. And so being tied up of, of like, okay, well, you just did this training block for me or this like, you know, the six months of training and I only put five kilos on my bench. Three years ago, I was benching four days a week instead of three times a week and I put 10 kilos on my bench. Therefore, I need to bench four days a week and and not sort of understand the processes that have happened in that time. Maybe that five kilos that you just made gains with is actually way more than you would have done if you trained four days a week, for example. I've tried to do this in posts with stronger lifters that I've attracted over the years. Um, it's, it's quite a hard balance to put it into words, but like the, the balance between like what has been my impact on them to showcase their strength versus how much of that strength did they already have? Like yeah. one of the most extreme examples is Dylan. We went from a 355 squat to a 455 squat in 12 months. Like that- Which is fucking insane. Yeah, it's ludicrous. And so it's like the question of how much of the impact of the technique and the programming and everything that I offered and I gave uh, contributed to that 100 kilos and how much of that was already there and was just able to be unlocked by that. And it's it's mm. not about, it's not about um, you know, pulling out straws to find out what the true answer is. It's about highlighting then that I know I, I attract people like that because of the results that I get out of people like that. But a big part of it for me has to be educating that person into not expecting those results to just happen again and again and again. Um, yeah, I mean, same thing with Semler and his big bench, same thing with Andrew Cooper. Now the new bench guy, uh, he's going to have, he, he'll probably open on 300 at his next comp, the way that his training's going at the moment, Fuck. like open on it, which is ridiculous. He, he benched, he missed 300 on a third at his last comp. So in six months, it's like we've added, you know, 20 kilos to his bench. We haven't done that. We've just unlocked it. Um, yeah. And so like then explaining to that person, well, in another six months, can we really realistically expect you to break Julius Maddox record? Probably not, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, as a, as an advanced lifter, if you're carrying through that intermediate mindset of what progress looks like, you can really shoot yourself in the foot. And now that the emotional enjoyment is sometimes uh, gone away a little bit because you've realized that training is now work, um, that can, you know, be a bad combination. And I think that, that's one of the things with uh, more advanced lifters is like we always talk about this idea that the progression across the board is never linear but in adva- really advanced lifters like that it's almost like chaotic because you have these like massive spikes where suddenly you have unlocked something there's that that one light bulb moment that one perfect training cycle and then it just goes back to chaos mm. like it you know and then you'll go maybe a year without any real progress through a variety of things and it's easy to to get caught up in like trying to get to the bottom of those things and and finding all the reasons and trying to optimize everything without respecting the fact that like sometimes that's just the nature of the game when you're that good at it and you're at that top end of things it's just occasionally all the stars will align and everything will work and then for probably the majority of the time it won't Mm. there'll always be something that the the price you pay to be that good at something is that the the sort of peak performance becomes harder and harder to attain Mm -hmm. you know you look at 
like world records in sprinting and stuff like that where it's like someone can run that but they've got to have the perfect conditions on the perfect day the wind speed's got to be right like all of those things have got to line up to the point where it you shave you know 0.8 of a second or 0.1 of a second or 0.01 of a second off something as opposed to mm. yeah it just being like a, a a linear incremental thing yeah and i think that that probably leads to you know a third mistake i don't know how much of this i'd call a mistake as much as just something that you need to learn from um but the 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 whole sport becomes a little bit more psychological the more advanced you get it's so much less reliant on the technicality of programming and numbers um and there's so many so many more um psychological demons that you have to battle um it's it's almost like the dunning kruger effect but of performance you know um maybe that's not the best analogy i've i've expired my You've good analogies out, out analogy yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but once you once you've climbed to that top level once once there's less uh, you know less people around you and up there to sort of uh i don't know if battle with is the right word um but th- there's a little bit less incentive for you to keep doing what you're doing and you start to find a lot more negatives in doing what you're doing you know it is work it is hard it's hard on your body um there's a more time investment in terms of if you are chasing competition now you have to travel to the big competitions you might even have to go internationally to find these competitions it just gets a little bit more psychologically demanding Um, and if you're not prepared for that or you don't know how to deal with that if you get buried in everyone's expectations because you've added 100 kilos to your squad in a year and now everyone's saying when are you going to squat 500 it can be really fucking huge for 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 people it can be really hard to deal with yeah it's i think being elite in any aspect of life whether it's athletics or otherwise is always going to be almost entirely psychological because like you said before we've all coached people who have that like championship mindset and then we've coached people who want to be champions and the two are not always uh going hand in hand there are a lot of people who talk the talk about wanting to be the best but then don't either don't have the physical characteristics, which in a sport like powerlifting is, I think, less relevant than in real sport mm-hmm. um, because very incredibly ungifted athletes can be very good powerlifters. Um, but either you don't have the genetic capabilities or you just don't have the drive. Mm. And some people just don't. Some people are born with that drive. Some people, I think, develop it over years of competitive sport or whatever that may be. Some people have it and lose it through any you know variety of circumstances but that's often the the factor that separates the really truly elite the ones that we talk about for generations from the people that we talk about for a couple of years and then everyone forgets absolutely sweet i think that's a good point mostly because i've run out of things to say yes and you can't do any more analogies before you explode correct all right thank you everyone bye sweet Oh, sick.